No, it's okay. I'm joking around. <laughs> Actually, I heard that now you can, like, there's some app for your phone that you can yeah, yeah, yeah. do, but it's probably too, too, to, um... You just have to sync it to this IP address, and then you're like... Too, um, advanced for my... <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, thank you guys for inviting me um, and coming. Um, so basically, you might say, why does Dr. Diamond always, as I say, I always go where I'm asked to go, um, and because I love to talk about HIV. And the reason is because 10% of my salary comes from the Pacific AIDS Education and Training Center, which is uh, funded by HRSA. And basically, they pay me to give talks about HIV. Although our last um, uh, like grant report basically said that I should be going out to Riverside and giving talks to people out there as opposed to people conveniently located to me. But, <laughs> but we won't go there. <laughs> So um, in order to prove that I actually came and gave this talk, all I need from you is if you fill out literally this, uh, the identifying number and the date, uh, all of you are doctors, all of you work here at UCI, and except for Dr. Suchard, I think you're all residents. So I can fill out all, at, at, okay, so if you're an attending, <laughs> put that down. <laughs> um, but other than that, I can fill out the rest of the form for you. So you just, that's all I need, okay? I mean, if you were bored or motivated or obsessive, then fill out the rest. It's fine, but I don't need that. Okay, so I was asked to talk about HIV prophylaxis, and um, you know, uh, basically, um, I kind of think about this a little differently, I think, than most uh, people do. I have kind of more of a, a holistic view. Um, it goes along with being a vegetarian and, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, all right. So um, HIV prevention, in my mind, could be uh, divided into three things. And this is a Venn diagram, uh, which um, my daughter's learning about Venn diagrams this year in third grade. So um, I'm happy about that, too. So um, basically, you know, we talk about behavior change, which would be use of condoms, um, safer sexual practices. So for instance, maybe oral sex instead of anal sex. Um, fewer partners, decreased partners increase, decreases your HIV risk. And then for IV drug users, needle exchange. Okay, so those, this is, and some of these things have an overlap among them, which is why I have the circles and the Venn diagram um, uh, overlapping. Then you have um, public health measures, and like I said, needle exchange could go into either of those things because you need the exchange available, but you need the person to be willing to do the behavior. Increased testing. So the more people who are tested for HIV, the less transmission there'll be because um, most transmission of HIV occurs from people who do not know that they are positive. Okay? Um, and then social justice issues, that also goes along with the pinko vegetarian thing. Uh, but basically, um, especially in countries like um, Africa, where women are disenfranchised, but also um, in, you know, where homosexuality may be more stigmatized, this creates a culture of secrecy and uh, causes there to be more HIV transmission. So that's an issue. And of course, people you know, trading sex for drugs and, and sex for money and things like that. So all these things are things that lead to HIV. But what we're going to focus on is biomedical prevention because I think that's what you want to hear about rather than um, like sex workers in India or something. Um, <laughs> um, so 
I, I may go out of assumptions about what you guys want to hear, hear about. But, yeah, that'll be next week. Ask me back, uh, and uh, we'll talk about that. Um, so um, obviously, we'd love to have a vaccine available for HIV, but that's not available. Um, the treatment of STDs decreases HIV transmission because whenever you have an STD, you're actually more likely to acquire HIV and you're more likely to transmit HIV. So like, for instance, with syphilis, if you have a chancre, that's just like an open port saying, you know, come on in um, to the HIV. Um, now, other things that people have tried are microbicides, so vaginal microbicides, rectal microbicides. I'm not going to focus too much on that because they're not commercially available. So the main thing I'm going to talk about is antiretrovirals. Okay. And you guys can just come, you know, be, uh, jump in whenever you want. Okay. Um, so, you know, HIV, obviously, now this is kind of like your defined medicine. <laughs> this is like the equivalent of the defined medicine slide for HIV. So there are three mechanisms of HIV transmission, sexual transmission, blood transmission, mother-to-child transmission, okay? Now, mother-to-child, not going to focus on that, although obviously antiretrovirals prevent the transmission from mother-to-child. Um, and you can give them um, to the mother beforehand, baby afterwards, and intrapartumly IV, AZT. So I'm focusing, though, on the sex and blood uh, issues. This is why I love HIV. Uh, <laughs> sex, blood, drugs. <laughs> Sorry. If you can't live it, you can read about it. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, um, okay, and I, apparently I'm on the, yeah, the, this will be on the internet. Don't show my children. Uh, <laughs> actually, they'll find it. They're better at this than I am. Okay, so blood, sex. Um, basically, with any kind of HIV prophylaxis, you can have pre-exposure prophylaxis or post-exposure prophylaxis. Now, this was the first time that I ever really thought about, you know, a condom being a, a prophylactic against HIV. And it is a prophylactic. My father used to always call them prophylactics. Um, and actually, then I thought about gloves being sort of a preventative measure. And I thought, ah, no glove, no love. And it all sort of bloomed in my brain. But... <laughs> um, so um, the other thing I put in here for pre-exposure prophylaxis regarding occupational exposures is basically now the festina lente, which basically means um, move quickly but with intention in Latin. So uh, it means uh, be quick but be slow at the same time. So I think basically one of the things in terms of avoiding occupational exposures other than using gloves is sort of thinking in advance and using appropriate precautions. And a lot of this stuff is actually institutionalized. I mean, in terms of the needles that we use now where they kind of auto-cap themselves and things like that. Um, okay. So um, people always ask, well, in terms of, and most doctors are more interested in occupational exposures than anything else because that's kind of what they fear. Um, so people ask, well, what is the risk of HIV transmission with any particular exposure? Well, the worst, of course, would be with a blood transfusion, your risk is pretty much about 90% if you have um, an un uh, unscreened positive uh, blood transfusion, okay? So that's pretty high. <laughs> Um, now, of course, with the current screening that we do, the risk is uh, much lower. It's about 1 in 1.4 million, okay? Um, what about in uh, needle sharers? It's about 67 per 100,000. Um, 
And then we go down the list, receptive anal intercourse, it's more of a risky behavior. So a needle stick is about three in a thousand, okay? Um, and that's without prophylaxis. So that risk is actually not that high. So when people have a needle <coughs> stick, they tend to fr uh, freak out, but the risk of transmission is actually very low, even without prophylaxis. It's about three in a thousand. Mm -hmm. And then I remember they uh, always ask you, like, hollow needle, not hollow needle, mm -hmm. for, like, the wine open. This is kind of all, all comers, and this data um, is, uh, you know, it's not from, I mean, uh, the most recent uh, cases and so forth. I mean, this is from 1995, I think, down there, or, wait, no, three and four. It's from 1992, 2002, so this, yeah, there, hang on, let me see. I'm trying to find the, uh, match the footnote to the, um, uh, it's reference Five. Yeah, so 1997. It's from 1997. And so now, I mean, one would presume that because some of these patients are on antiretrovirals that the risk would be lower. So I think the risk is, is low, basically. Um, and then, of course, um, oral intercourse is less risky than anal intercourse. So whenever you have somebody who has any kind of HIV exposure, be it occupational, be it injection drug use, be it sexual, you have to think, well, what exactly was the, the behavior that put them at risk? So that's the, the point of that slide. Um, so the first thing I'm going to talk about is blood post-exposure prophylaxis. And I'm going to focus on occupational exposure, but I'm also going to talk about injection drug use, exposure with trauma, um, so like blast injuries. And um, the, as I said, the risk with transfusion with current screening is probably about 1 per 1.4 million units. The surgeons, whenever I give them a talk, they always ask that question. <laughs> um, and I think it's because they have to have people fill out those consent forms. <laughs> Um, okay, so this is case one, um, 25-year-old internal medicine resident inserting a central line into an ICU patient with AIDS. Her intern accidentally slices through her glove into her finger with a scalpel. She arrives in the ER a few hours later at 1 a.m. Okay, so what kind of uh, questions uh, do you think you would ask to evaluate this person's risk? Um, okay, well, so this patient is AIDS, and they're not on antiretroviral therapy, so they're probably <coughs> at rest. Is the scalpel being used on the patient yet? Right, that's the first question, right. Is it, the scalpel, was it dirty or was it bloody? This scalpel happened to be a bloody scalpel. How did they know the patient had AIDS? Well, because they, had, they were in, I mean, they have a history of AIDS, yeah. Yeah, did she wash her hands afterwards? Okay, so these are all good questions. Um, well, the reason why I bring this up, um, or I, uh, this example, this was me about 20 years ago. Now you know how old I am. Um, and um, I uh, had this happen to me, so I have a lot of sympathy for people. Um, Manuel Babayan, that was the intern. <laughs> Still remember that. Um, and um, so, uh, but actually, since it wasn't a hollow bore injury, probably wasn't really that worrisome. I was wearing uh, gloves. But it's kind of an example where you, if you have more people working on somebody, there's uh, definitely a risk for uh, injury. Um, and you notice that actually I came to the ER a few hours later. 
proving um, how dumb I can be sometimes, because I, you know, kind of had to get everything all cleaned up, signed out, and then I come. Really, you want to start your prophylaxis within two hours. So had I been, uh, this of course happened in the middle of the night, as all things like this do, and um, had I been my own attending at that time, I would have just told me to drop everything and run down to the ER. And um, I, anyway, the reason why I put up the thing from uh, Rent is because if you guys ever saw Rent musical, another part of being an HIV doctor is that you should like musicals, um, <laughs> is um, <laughs> that um, if you remember, they, every couple of uh, you know, minutes in the, they go, AZT break. That was when you had to take AZT five times a day. And I, so I had to do that, and I was sick as a dog. Anyway, and I was dating my future husband at the time. So it, it's, I have a lot of uh, emotional angst about that. Um, so, okay, so whenever you have any kind of HIV exposure, you want to ask basically these questions. Again, going back to like kindergarten, first grade type stuff. So where, what, when, where, uh, why, who, so forth. Um, why I don't think is really actually that crucial. Um, in the short term, like in the, in, uh, because really why it happened, if it's an occupational exposure, then that's kind of more of a global thinking, uh, like, you know, what ways can we prevent this? And if it's a sexual exposure and you want to know why, again, it may be beyond what you can address in the emergency room, like I'm addicted to meth, that's why, or, you know, something like that. <laughs> okay, so the source would be the who. You want to know the source of the needle stick. Do they have HIV? Do they have hepatitis B? Do they have hepatitis C? Sometimes that will be available in the medical record. Sometimes that will be not available. The what is, well, what kind of injury was it? What was the procedure they were doing? Were they wearing gloves? Were they wearing eye gear? What, was, uh, um, what kind of protection were they using? And then what kind of needle was it? Um, was there blood on it? The, the blood on it is a crucial one. Um, and then you also want to know how long it's been since the exposure. Because like I said, the, qu the quicker that they receive the prophylaxis, the less likely they are to be infected. And then you want to know where did the injury occur. Did it occur on intact skin? Well, that's not a real exposure if it's on intact skin, and they don't need prophylaxis. Was it on a mucous membrane? That could be an exposure. Was it a needle through the skin? Well, that is an exposure. So these are the things that you want to think about. Up until what point is the prophylaxis, prophylaxis effective? Like, well, that's like, the, you know, a week later will be too late, I would say. Um, they say up to 36 hours for um, occupational exposure and up to three days, 72 hours for sexual exposures. Um, so, you know, if somebody shows up and it's, you know, 30, I don't know, 40 hours, I mean, like, probably you would lean on the side of caution and treat them anyway, even if it were an occupational exposure. But the bottom line is that if you read the guidelines, they say that you should be treated within two hours of your exposure, okay? So this is very, the, very important, which is what, it, what constitutes an exposure, okay? A needle stick injury or an exposure of uh, a mucous membrane or non-intact skin. So that would include skin that's chapped, abraded, or has dermatitis, to a body fluid that has in, is infectious. Infectious fluid includes blood, semen, vaginal fluids, and anything that's contaminated, any body fluid that's contaminated with visible blood. Other things that could be infectious are CSF, synovial fluid, pleural fluid, pericardial fluid, amniotic fluid. These are less likely to be infectious. If 
they're exposed to feces, saliva, nasal secretions, gastric secretions, sputums, sweat, tears, urine, vomit. It's kind of gross, but it doesn't require um, post-exposure prophylaxis. Also, if you get exposed directly to HIV in a research lab, that's considered an exposure. And you might think that's kind of odd. How could that happen? But I actually worked in an HIV lab, and I did have somebody who I worked with have this happen to them. <laughs> and they took prophylaxis. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. little bit confused. I understand mm-hmm. that some fluids can be more risky than others. Mm-hmm. But given the fact that apparently mm-hmm. the virus gets into so many different fluids, mm-hmm. Do we really know for sure that these other ones don't have it? Because I don't understand how it can get into semen and vaginal secretion mm-hmm. into your CSF, but it wouldn't get into your urine. Yeah. Well, I mean, urine's pretty. Uh, is it? Uh, I mean, urine is a sterile. Uh, is often sterile. Uh, I mean, it should be sterile. Um, and saliva, I mean, you can, you know, you kissing is usually does not transmit, uh, does not transmit HIV. So I guess I would say that, um, that the vi- there's not replicating virus that could infect you. I mean, gastric, maybe the acid, you know, uh, kills it, that kind of thing. Um, I think you have to look at it as a continuum. I mean, CSF, you know, it does have virus in it. But, like, for instance, I mean, I've had CSF splashed on intact skin, and I didn't, you know, I was like, okay, that's not an exposure. And I didn't, you know, go to employee health or anything, because I said, yeah, it's not an exposure. What about an old needle with dried blood on it? Um, well, according to employee health, that happens. Um, like that's like a, one of the ones that they get, and they said they give those people combivir. Um, but actually, if you read the guidelines, they're really um, kind of vague on that point. And I would say if you would give anything, it would probably be um, Truvada and maybe Truvada Isentris. But basically. The, the guidelines actually say that you don't really need to prophylax unless, like, for instance, it's um, a needle in, you know, that was in an HIV clinic or something like right. that. It's like, because I remember we had someone who, uh-huh. you know, a needle that was left in a hotel room, mm-hmm. and it was a stick, and it's like, well, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that you have to do anything about that. I mean, unless, you know, you knew for sure that that was a drug den and everybody in there was, right. you, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, so... Yeah. Okay, so uh, we talked about using it within two hours of exposure and that the benefit decreases after 36 hours. Okay, this, I like this study, and that's why I bring it up. And the reason um, I like it is because this was the study that uh, proved that antiretroviral prophylaxis after needle sticks decreases transmission by about 80%, and it's a case control study. Um, and um, basically, like I said, this was done, you know, back in the 90s before um, patients were um, widely treated with antiretroviral therapy, and there was no highly antiretroviral, highly active antiretroviral therapy available. And um, so, um, I just think it's interesting because, you know, case control studies. I'm also an epidemiologist as well as a vegetarian uh, <laughs> and a commun- and a pinko. Um, anyway, um, the I think it's interesting because people always kind of put people put down case control studies, but um, this was uh, one that really gave useful data. And this was a study where they showed that things like the deep injury, visible blood on device. Uh, procedure involving needle and artery or vein, 
terminal uh, illness and source patient, all these things that they always list as risk factors for transmission, are, are most of them are from this uh, from this study. Other than this, there's really no evidence um, about occupational exposures and prophylaxis um, other than animal data. Um, so actually, if you did have a needle stick, um, really, um, when you look at the seroprevalence in the uh, general population, the HIV seroprevalence is about 0.3% while the prevalence of hepatitis B is about 0.4%. So hepatitis C is about 1.8%. And so actually, you're more likely, if you were just going to have a random needle stick, to get hepatitis C than anything else um, from the just kind of population-wise. But then if you look at how likely um, you are to get infected by, uh, by any given <coughs> needle stick, you can see that hepatitis B actually is much more um, infectious uh, to the person being stuck than is um, HIV or hepatitis C. So hepatitis, if you have a needle stick from someone who has this particular infection, you're much more likely to get hepatitis B, hepatitis C second, HIV third. But, but HIV is the one who kind of, I think, gets all the publicity, if, if uh, negative publicity. Um, and part of that's because with hepatitis B, you can receive vaccination, and that will decrease, you know, obviously will prevent transmission. With hepatitis C, there's really nothing you can do to prevent the transmission. So um, I think that's why it's not as, you know, thought of. Um, and then uh, with HIV, there's prophylaxis. So that's why I think when people think about needle sticks, the first thing they always worry about is HIV, because they're presumably, if they're a healthcare worker, they should be vaccinated against hepatitis B. Hepatitis C, there's nothing you can do about it anyway, but the HIV, there is prophylaxis. So there's no post-exposure prophylaxis for hepatitis C? No, no. I mean, there's, you can treat people early with interferon, and then you can sometimes eradicate it early, but you, you, there's no evidence that treating people who are exposed with interferon will is a good practice. Speaking of eradication, <laughs> there was a news report a few weeks ago of an index case of a patient who was documented HIV positive where there's no, no trace of the virus in the body anymore. It's the baby? They were cured. Was it a baby? I forget yeah. what The baby is in Alabama. The Alabama kid. Yeah. <laughs> I would say just control. With the baby, there's a lot of debate about, you know, is the, is the HIV going to come back or, you know, what exactly went on with the baby. But uh, patients always ask about that and, like, can I take, stop taking my pills now, da da da, da. But the answer is uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's easy. Um, so I'm just briefly going to just talk about the, the um, the hep B prophylaxis, which basically, if you were exposed from a patient who was hepatitis B surface antigen positive, if you, um, if you hadn't received vaccination, you would get the hep B immune globulin and start the vaccine series. But um, most of the employees at UCI um, should have been vaccinated. And according to Employee Health, I talked to them this morning, apparently we can all get our hepatitis B status off the computer now, which I did not know. Um, and so then theoretically you would know if you had an antibody response or not. And if you had an adequate antibiotic response, you wouldn't need uh, any treatment. But if you had an inadequate response or you're unknown, 
um, then um, you can uh, get the hepatitis B immune globulin and get uh, vaccinated. Anyway, when I had my needle stick injury, they gave me the hepatitis B immune globulin, but as I said, that was 20 years ago. Um, so, okay, so what about the, the, um, the regimens for prophylaxis? Now, what's weird is that um, if you look at the guidelines um, in uh, the CDC guidelines, they're actually from like 2005, and they haven't updated them in about eight years, and they're so completely out of date. So don't, I wouldn't use them because they're completely out of date. And I can't believe that they even have them still, you know, available to read without like a warning on them. Um, because those are the guidelines where they talk about like kind of various degrees of exposure and they talk about using two drug therapy with combivir and stuff like that. And that's just not um, really the appropriate thing to do. Um, so this is all from up to date, and basically what they recommend is using tenofovir emtricitabine, which is Truvada, and raltegravir, which is Isentris, for 28 days. And that seems to be what the most common thing that is done now. Which, and the reason why, you might ask, is because it's much more well-tolerated with a lot of less uh, side effects. Uh, Convivir makes people sick. Okay. Um, so here, this is um, from the actually like New York State Public Health Guidelines, and I have their website. And I think that their information is a lot more accurate than what is in the CDC uh, guidelines, but up to date also, I felt was accurate too. So basically, if you had an exposed worker, um, you can um, start if you can find out whether their source is uh, positive or negative within two hours, then you can wait to start them on post-exposure prophylaxis awaiting the rapid test. But if you cannot get that information immediately, then you can go ahead and start the, uh, start the employee on post-exposure prophylaxis. Um, and then afterwards, if the source tests are negative, then basically the only question would be is could the person, the source patient, be in that window period of infection? That's going to be pretty unlikely because our tests that we have now are much more accurate. Um, so I think unless the person was an active IV drug user or was in the hospital for an HIV seroconversion syndrome, I think you can really rely on the, on the rapid test. So if the rapid test is negative, they can go off the therapy. But if the rapid test is positive, then they would need to continue it for 28 days. Go ahead. I've seen a couple of instances where somebody had a possible exposure mm -hmm. and the reporting was underway. And I, all three of those cases, not mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that not, uh, is this not at work at UCI? Okay, well, I have a slide about, about UCI. <laughs>